Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Today's episode is part of our Inside Science series. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Cy Montgomery. Cy Montgomery, our guest today, will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming soon, so please check out our show notes for details about Cy Montgomery's upcoming presentation. You can check out the Smithsonian Associates website for more information, too, and we will have links to everything in our show notes today. When author and naturalist Cy Montgomery spent a day at Falconer Nancy Cowan's New England farm, home to a dozen magnificent birds of prey, it was the start of a deep love affair. That's when she met Jazz, a feisty four-year-old female Harris's hawk with a wingspan of more than four feet, not a pet. Jazz was a fierce predator with talons that could pierce skin and bone, and yet she was willing to work with a human to hunt. Cy Montgomery fell under the magnetic spell of the hawk, and over the next few years, Cy Montgomery spent more time with these creatures, getting to know their extraordinary abilities and instincts. Deeply emotional animals, hawks are quick to show anger and frustration and can hold a grudge for years. We will hear from Cy Montgomery about all of that, but hawks, we will also learn, are loyal and intensely aware of their surroundings in a fascinating interview today highlighted by wonderful pictures that you will see online as well as in Cy Montgomery's presentation at Smithsonian Associates. Cy Montgomery will recall her time in the world of hawks and she'll share what they can teach us about nature, life, and love. Let's listen as Cy Montgomery reads a passage from her new book, The Hawk's Way, and we will learn more about Cy's love with this wonderful bird of prey. Just like friendships with different people, relationships with individuals of other species have lessons to teach us. We are, of course, deeply enriched simply by learning about life ways other than our own. I love it that some creatures I've been privileged to know can taste with their skin like octopuses or see with sound like dolphins and bats and perceive colors we can't even imagine like birds and some reptiles. But animals also have much to show us about how we, as humans, can more meaningfully and compassionately encounter the wider world. Our fellow animals teach us lessons about the delights of sameness and difference. They immerse us in wonder. They lead us to humility. They inspire us to reverence. They teach us the many facets of love. The ancient Greeks said there were four kinds of love. Eros takes its name from the dangerous and powerful god of desire, whose Roman counterpart was the mischievous Cupid. Eros describes what we in the West now call romantic love. Storge is a very different kind of love, the instinctual affection of a parent towards its offspring and vice versa. Philia is the love shared between friends and equals and gives us words such as philanthropy. The highest form of love was called agape. This is a love untainted by expectations, a love without external reward. The other kinds of love, though celebrated and essential, are transactional. Eros yearns for sexual fulfillment. 
Filius bonds are forged by mutual friendship and trust. Storge is run by selfish genes. But unlike these, agape is pure, selfless, and unconditional. In the Bible, agape came to stand for the love God has for his creation and the love humans should endeavor to feel toward the creator in worship. But in the way of humans, we too often make even worship transactional, giving our allegiance in exchange for eternal life or the promise of consorting after a glorious death with 72 virgins. Oh Lord, sang Janice Joplin, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? This is not true to the spirit of agape. Unlike all the other kinds of love, agape asks nothing in return. This is what a hawk can teach you. How to love like a god. That, of course, is our guest today, Cy Montgomery, reading from her new book, The Hawk's Way. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast, Cy Montgomery. Well, Cy Montgomery, gosh, it it is... I, I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the program, and um, I hope you're well. <laughs> we'll start there. I, well, I sure am now, Paul. I'm delighted <laughs> to be on. Oh, I'm so delighted to talk to you. You're going to be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up here pretty quick, and so let's talk a little bit about that. Why don't you tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? Well, I'll be... Um giving a, a, a talk via Zoom on Thursday, June 30th in the evening. Um, and I'll be talking about my new book, The Hawk's Way, Encounters with Fierce Beauty. I'll be showing some images of hawks, hawks being uh, working in falconry in partnership with humans, uh, wild hawks, hawks up close, um, migrating hawks, but particularly I want to be talking about how falconry showed me kind of what makes a hawk a hawk and what makes these raptors so different from anyone else who I had ever known in my many years of encountering animals from octopuses to bats to cheetahs. And you know animals well because you you are the author of just the wonderful book, The Soul of an Octopus. You wrote The Good, Good Pig. You've written about snakes. You've written about tarantulas. And now you're writing about hawks. And the book, I just have to tell you again, Cy Montgomery, The Hawk's Way, is just wonderful. I just, I cannot recommend it enough. It's just fantastic. I think, I think animals teach us uh, a lot and they've taught me a lot. Your, your books feature animals and people. And I wonder from a people perspective, what lessons have you learned about you in connecting with animals? Well, hawks kind of stretched my mind open into a place that I didn't think it would go. I should first explain, I've been I've been vegetarian for 40 years and, you know, I see some poor squirrel that got hit on the side of the road and it just ruins my whole day. I'm a soft-hearted person and usually I'm able to connect with animals, including octopuses, including even a rhino who I met, um, once that I convince them I'm not going to eat them and they're certain they're not going to eat me, um, I usually can reach out and, and touch an animal and through gentle touch um, establish a friendship. And, you know, I was able to do this with octopuses with whom we last shared a common ancestor half a billion years ago. So 
Hawks are different, though. And my husband is the one who kind of got me into this. He heard on the radio uh, uh, this advertisement for this new school, the New Hampshire School of Falconry. And knowing how I love all animals and birds, he said, why don't you try this? Well, I show up. And first, I didn't think it all the way through. Falconry is about hunting. And I thought I'd be the last person in the world who wanted to go hunting. But this is what hawks want to do. And there's there's no malice in their ferocity. They have to go kill their prey, usually with their feet, sometimes with their with their beak. And their delight in life is to chase down their prey. And the funny thing is, even though I have no desire to chase down and, and kill some animal with my feet or my face, um, once I got to know a hawk, their desire became my desire. And I fell so deeply in love with their wild magnificence that I could not wait to become the junior hunting partner to someone like that. I wanted so much to serve that bird. And again, this was so unlike any relationship I had had with anyone of any species before. And it was very humbling and transformative. I'm excited to talk about that. I, I, I also I know a little bit about you from my research that you had a, a youth that was unique. For those of us, I'm a I'm, I'm the son of a Air Force uh, uh, captain, and and you grew up on an Army base. And for those of us who kind of understand that world, there's not often a bunch of nature available to us there. <laughs> I, I wonder how, <laughs> how did you come to love nature and birds so much oh, with that with that gosh. background? Well, I I can. I, I can credit my dog, Molly, who was a Scottish Terrier. When I was a little girl, I I did not identify as a little girl. I did not identify as a human. I told my parents as soon as I developed language that I wasn't a human, but I was actually a horse. And my mother went to the pediatrician very worried, and he assured her that this would soon stop. And it did when I realized I actually was a dog. But, you know, my big problem was everyone wanted me to be a little girl and was eager to show me to be a little girl, and I had zero interest in this. Well, one day we got a dog, a Scottish Terrier named Molly, um, and finally I had my teacher. And she was the one who showed me that even on an army base, there's nature all around you. And even when I could not see or hear or smell the wild animals were around, I could see that she could. I could see those ears swiveling around, hearing sounds that were too high or too low for me to hear. I could I could tell that she could see in the dark where I was just slamming into things. And I could certainly see her magnificent nose bringing her information that was not there for me. And she is the one who really taught me what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, which was to find out about all these wonderful wild lives. 
And they are wonderful. I, you know, I appreciate birds. I'm not a birder per se. My wife really is. And it just makes her day on our daily walk to see the green heron. And right now there's a, there's a nest of green herons and they've got juveniles there already that have just hatched and it just makes their day. But, but hawks, falcons, owls, I had an opportunity to hold one on, on a sleeve in just the same way you you have done, and it changed me. And this this idea of their power, their calm, the the willingness just to land on me, it just was beautiful, amazing to me. I wonder if you just tell us about what it meant to you to have the same experience and to be in the presence of these these just beautiful raptors. Oh yeah, and it's lovely that you know what this mm-hmm. feels like. <laughs> and oh when gosh. you and I were talking earlier, I was explaining that sometimes, you know, people will read my book and they'll say, oh, you know, surely you're overstating this. But no, when a, a, a bird like the first Harris hawk who I met, um, whose name was Jazz, when this beautiful bird came flying toward me with her yellow feet outstretched with those obsidian curved talons flying towards my glove. My heart just cracked open with awe to see that that bird chose to land on me. And I look into those eyes, these eyes that gather so much more of the world than our eyes. I mean, as you know, raptors' eyes weigh twice as much as their brain. They're capable of seeing in detail we can't fathom. They can see colors we can't name. They can, at a height of hundreds and hundreds of feet, see for miles. And in incredible detail, they'll see the individual leaves on trees that to us look like broccoli. So you look into an eye like that, that is inches from your face, and it feels like you are holding on your glove a waterfall or an eclipse or a volcano. It just is so momentous. And when the bird actually lands smack on your glove, it's incredibly strong. You're not really ready to feel the squeeze of those talons that can kill an animal bigger than itself by squeezing those talons. And you're not really ready for the heft of that bird landing on you. And not everyone wants to see a bird like that flying towards us because our kind or our ancestors were once hunted by big raptors like this. The Tong child, who when you and I were in college, we were taught that this Australopithecine creature, an an ancestor of of humans, had this fossil, in particular this individual, had been killed by a leopard. But since then, it's now been discovered that no, our ancestor was killed by a large hawk. So our kind was, was hunted by these creatures. So not everyone wants to do falconry. But for me, there was no room in my heart to be scared at all. I was just blown away by the pure wildness, the the pure savagery bereft of all evil. It was like looking into the face of wildness itself. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, 
and everything Smithsonian. As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with Cy Montgomery, naturalist, author of the new book, The Hawk's Way Encounters with Fierce Beauty. It's also the title of Cy Montgomery's new book, The Hawk's Way. Cy Montgomery will be at Smithsonian Associates coming up Thursday, June 30th via Zoom. It's going to be a great opportunity to hear more from Cy Montgomery, but we have Cy Montgomery today. I'm excited, of course, to be talking with you, Cy Montgomery. The book subject, The Hawk's Way, is you, you say it's these modern dinosaurs, quote unquote. I wonder if you tell us what you mean by that, because I thought that was really an interesting way to describe them. You tell us that we were hunted by them, but they, much of these birds, this this element of prey hasn't changed a whole great deal. No. Well, they kind of hit perfection and stayed with it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, when, when I was a kid, I bet you were the same way. And a lot of the people who listened to the program probably also just love dinosaurs. I was crazy about dinosaurs. And when I, when I found out dinosaurs were extinct, I was sick about it. I mean, I didn't care so much mm-hmm. that the tooth fairy was my mother. <laughs> there was no Santa, but <laughs> there were no dinosaurs. This is terrible. But then years later, come to know that there's dinosaurs at your bird feeder. And people who have a turkey at Thanksgiving are eating a dinosaur. The birds are what happened to the dinosaurs and a very specific wing of the dinosaur clan. These are not uh, the descendants of the plant-eating dinosaurs like our friends Apatosaurus and Diplodocus. The birds are the descendants of the theropod dinosaurs like Velociraptor and like Tyrannosaurus rex. So even the little chickadee and the tufted titmouse who are feeding on your sunflower seeds out your window, these guys are descendants of the the carnivorous meat-eating dinosaurs who, like them, had swiveling wrists and excellent binocular vision, and many of whom, um, like birds, when they hatched out of the egg, were covered in down. Many dinosaurs actually had real grown-up feathers, too. We're now discovering what colors some of those feathers were because they've been preserved through the ages. So one way to appreciate hawks even more is thinking this is a flying T-Rex that you've got on your That's arm. That's great. That's great. I, we've been watching in our house, we've been watching the David Attenborough special on prehistoric um, on dinosaurs and and I am I lo- I love all these dinosaurs. One of the images that uh, the documentary focuses on are these talons of the Velociraptors, and I felt the same way. I felt like these talons, as this bird was lighting on my sleeve, I just felt like that that's a that is such a powerful force, and it almost looks in the same way as the Velociraptor talon. That we're that we're watching on this uh, on this television program. I don't, I don't know if you 
if you've been watching that too, but it's really caught our attention. It's it's been fantastic. Oh, I've been wanting to watch that. I I, I forget what station it's on, or not a station. They they have all these streaming things now. Yes, yes. Um, and it may be one we don't have, but I got to figure out some way oh, around. It's, that. It is worth it. But, yeah. But if you've seen dinosaur trackways. It it looks like a very large wild turkey just walked through the mud. <laughs> it looks just just like a bird footprint. And when you look at birds' feet, um, instantly you're you're seeing well what's been called glorified dinosaurs. It's it's not hard to see that, but it's extremely easy to see it when you've got a hawk on your arm and you're looking at 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 this kind of. It's an intelligence, but it's not necessarily an intelligence like our own. And emotionally, they are not very much like us. I found my relationship with octopuses, who I came to know over the course of years, individual octopuses, um, were, even though they are cold and slimy, they were really kind of more warm and fuzzy than the hawks I came to know. Hawks often the, the emotion that they're most likely to express is that they they find you annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they will scream into your face for something like a bad fashion choice. <laughs> for example, if you never wore sunglasses before and you show up for your falconry lesson and now you're wearing glasses, your the hawk you work with is going to scream at you like. What have you done? This is horrible. I hate you. <laughs> I once showed up at an event that my falconry instructor, Nancy Cowan, was holding at a rather formal place. And she had her birds inside a pretty building and people were walking around in dresses and, and suits. And so I'd worn a skirt, a long skirt. Um, and this hawk who I knew well, her name was Fire, shrieked at me. And her problem was, it's like, what have you done with your legs? You have no legs. This is terrible. I can't stand this. Go away. Go away. Get your legs back and then come and see me. Well, and they don't like hats either. No, sometimes they don't like hats and sometimes they'll take them off with their talons, which is can be alarming. Um, these guys, I mean, this is this is serious business. One of my, my friends who has... Um, a falconry hawk who lives up the street. His name is Henry, and his uh, his hawk is named Mahood, uh, a Harris hawk, who I know. His previous hawk, Mary, who was a big red tail, one day got annoyed with him and strafed his ear. And his ear, as a result, she she cut through the cartilage of the ear, so it flopped over like a like a spaniel. And he had to go to the hospital and have it stand it back up again. And we still don't know what had annoyed her. But with a hawk, you do not want to make any mistakes. One, it'll annoy them. But two, what you have to convince your hawk of in, in falconry is that you are a worthy junior hunting partner. And if you are not, they will just fly away and leave. So they are so not your pet. They are so not any kind of livestock. Your relationship with this animal is as not even an equal. You are to serve them. And I believe it was your husband who said that hawks are like a loaded gun and you don't know when it might 
go off. And I just thought that was really, that was, that made a lot of sense to me too, because I, when this bird, this falcon, the hawks, when they would light on, on my sleeve, I felt that power. And I think it's, it's true. They just have this way that we're junior, we're junior to them. And so I wonder, are they, are they mean? Are they vengeful? They do have a violence about them, but I, are they that way, particularly with humans? Are they just that way with with everything that they encounter? I think it is not, we might call it meanness, but it's not meanness. It is, it is innocence. They, they, um, they don't hunt their prey, for example, to be mean. Um, they, they don't like intend or take joy in suffering. But what they're doing is deadly serious. When everything you eat, you have to kill with your feet, and you need your feet to be in perfect condition. You can't make a mistake. If your feathers are injured in some way, you can't fly. If your eye gets hurt, you can't see. And for birds like a peregrine who's descending at 240 miles an hour, everything has to be in perfect working condition. So if if your falconry hawk thinks that you're doing something wrong, they often will essentially punish you for that. And that has happened. In fact, my first falconry experience, within minutes of getting beautiful jazz on my glove, my falconry instructor was working with a peregrine named Banshee. And Banshee was then the equivalent of a, of a teenager um, in that developmental stage. And to my complete shock, bit Nancy in the face within the first five minutes of the lesson. And Nancy's bleeding, blood is dripping down her face. I'm dabbing at it with a Kleenex. I'm wondering, you know, what's, what's, what are the other hawks going to do about this? I had a hawk and my friend Celinda had a, a, another hawk. She had a saker falcon. Um, and and uh, I had no idea, you know, what are these birds going to do? But it was it was surreal though because the three of us, we three ladies, are walking down the street. This, you know, it, it, we this was in rural uh, Hills, um, Deering, actually, New Hampshire. It's it's a rural area, but it was a paved road, and cars are going by occasionally, and people are looking out and seeing women walking around with birds of prey, and one of them is bleeding copiously onto the pavement. Um. I just thought, what weird world have I now entered? And and yet Nancy was not at all angry with Banshee. And you don't feel angry with, with a hawk who has hurt you because you're the one entering their world on their terms. And this is worth any price you're asked to pay. I thought that was fascinating too, that Nancy just really didn't skip a beat. It was just part of her relationship with the birds, understanding it, and that blood was was there. And and you just you had this you just had this really interesting experience with Banshee and um and the and and this this beautiful bird and and uh, I just thought 
I, I hadn't seen it that up close, but the way you describe it was just fantastic. I, I, as I say, the book is wonderful. It's, it's a, it's a slim volume, but the pictures in it are fantastic. And, uh, my favorite is the one is the color photo of Banji. I wonder, I wonder if you have a favorite. Oh, I love that one. Oh, I also yeah. love the photo. There, the photos are all by Tia Strombeck, and I'll be showing these photos and many more on June 30th when I do the program for Smithsonian Associates. Um, I love the one of Nancy and Scooter, both in profile, their heads right next to each other, and um. Nancy, as as you know, I dedicated the book to her. She died. January 8th of this year, suddenly and unexpectedly. and uh, But she knew about this book, and she was real excited about it coming out. And when I think of Nancy, I, I, think, of, I think of that picture. And I love how photographs can hold that moment for an eternity for yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, I was sad to read about Nancy, too, because she just, she meant so much to this, this story. And, uh, so kind of you to make this dedication. Again, the, the title of the book is The Hawksway Encounters with Fierce Beauty. We are talking with author and naturalist Cy Montgomery. Cy Montgomery will be at Smithsonian Associates on the 30th of June. We're going to put links up in the show notes where our audience can find out more about The Hawksway, the wonderful book about Cy Montgomery, and of course, more about the Smithsonian Associates presentation. So I know you're so busy, Cy Montgomery, and we, we're just so grateful for your time I just have one final question for you, and, and and because I noticed this in the back of the book, the selected bibliography, and I just thought, wow, that's those are some great resources. I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about some of those resources, and maybe maybe pick one. Tell us what in particular audience might pay attention to, because there's some further reading, there's websites, just some great stuff. Well, Nancy wrote a beautiful um, memoir called Peregrine Spring, and um, I I highly recommend that that. Also, um, Helen McDonald's Ages for Hawk is a fabulous book. I, I actually lived the experiences in my book before her book came out, um, but I just found that an absolutely incandescent book. Um, to uh, follow uh, hawk migrations, there's a number of resources listed. Um, that if you want to watch where hawks are flying, um, the Hawk Migration Association of North America has a, a website, and you can see, you know, where are they flying right now. Um, there are some tagged hawks right in our area, and um, I've been able, ever since this fall, when our broadwings left on migration, I've been able to follow the tagged broadwings as they flew down to Columbia, and then as they came back through another website, um, the Broadwing Hawk Project at hawkmountain.org allows you to track them. And uh, that's that's pretty special, especially, you know, since you can watch them fly overhead in the fall and then see where they're actually going. Fantastic. The book, again, The Hawk's Way is wonderful. Um, I'm not just the only one saying that. Uh, Bob Tart has said, Cy Montgomery has the mind of a scientist and the fierceness of a raptor as she dives beneath the skin 
and deep into the bones of the avian world, brimming with insight-sized writing dazzles like hummingbird feathers drenched in blazing sunshine. I think that says it well, but Simon Montgomery, you've, you've said it so well. Your presentation at Smithsonian is coming up. It's going to be good to see you there. And so great to be talking to you now. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for your generous time today, for reading, for all you do to give us a sense as to what these birds are all about, as well as all of your wonderful books. But congrats on this book. Again, The Hawk's Way. We're grateful for your time today. Thank you so much, Paul. This was a real pleasure for me. My thanks to Smithsonian Associate Cy Montgomery. Cy Montgomery will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming soon, so please check out our show notes for details about Cy's upcoming presentation. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and let's eliminate assault rifles, keeping our grandchildren and children safe everywhere, but especially in school. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see one another next week.